Good morning. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. You are here because you are with me trying to find how we know what we know about turfgrass science. It's Tuesday morning, December 5th, 2023. A little gray and dreary in, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky this morning. As I said, I was had everything running and I moved my chair out this morning to get things started and sit down and I, <laughs> I smashed my headphones. <laughs> Oh Lord! And somehow it disconnected my audio, so I'm not going to try to. I'm going to try not to touch anything this morning because my phrase is going to get disconnected. Okay, uh, we have a fun day today. I'm sorry I had a bad start because it's it, hopefully that doesn't. That's not indicative of how today's going to go because we have a lot of stuff we're going to go over today. It's going to be fun. The article is challenging. I'll be I'll be upfront with you. The article is difficult, um, but we have some other content that we're going to go over that I think is fun. So. Um, let me see what I can do about getting it up here. Uh, so what do we have to go over? Let me think here. Okay. Uh, I got a list. Oh, it's all, it's all content related. I don't have any errors or anything. Yesterday I was talking about some mistakes I made on, on uh, prior podcasts. And I speak sometimes thinking I'm saying something and I make mistakes. So please correct me if you catch something not my intent to uh say anything inaccurate but it's gonna it's gonna happen sometimes <clears throat> okay so today um i'm gonna jump right into a website in a video because this is the website and uh, content or the product and a video of the product that we're gonna include in today's paper um and I want to use it as an example of what's referred to as a straw man argument. It's very common in, in marketing, especially in, um, well, in turf grass marketing, it's very common. And let me explain what a straw man is. If you don't already know, you probably already know, but what a straw man argument is, is when it's when somebody designs or creates a situation or an argument that kind of looks similar to the argument being discussed. And then instead of, instead of discussing the core argument, they'll discuss the straw man that they built. So it's a, it's a way of diverting your attention away from the actual claim or the argument that is important. So for, so for example, today, um, if we're going to talk about thatch degradation in a product, that's the core claim or that's the core situation and if somebody says well this product does that but it does it sort of in this way and we're going to show it in a little in a little different uh, way and then uses that way to argue why it should be used in thatch that's a, that's what's referred to as a straw man argument it's very um easy to look over if you're not familiar with it so i'm going to show you a, um, a decent example of that today so let me get into the internet and I don't <laughs> touch my mic or break it. Okay. So the product, the, the article we're going to talk about today includes a product called that called thatchless. And I'm not going to bother fidgeting with this stuff because in the next, the next, uh, internet window is going to put it back on square on the video on the screen here. Sorry about you if you're watching. Um, so a product called thatchless, it's made by Novazymes. Now this product that I have on the screen is called Tur Tour Turf Thatchless ET ETD Enzyme Thatch Degrader. 
I don't think these are exactly apples to apples products. I think Thatchless back in, I guess it was 10 or 15 years ago when this study was conducted was probably um, slightly different, but it contained many of the same active ingredients as this product. And Thatchless on this is a registered trademark. So I'm, I'm going to assume perhaps incorrectly that uh, they're very analogous products, if not if it's probably the same product it's probably just been slightly changed over time and what thatchless is it's its claim is a biological thatch reduction product for rapid cellulose breakdown in sports turf now oh screw it, i'll try to fix this screen over here i can't quite see what i'm talking about um okay there we go uh so as we hopefully know by now if you've watched any of the prior videos on thatch that we've been going over the last couple of weeks is cellulose and hemicellulose are not really the major concern when we're talking about thatch control okay we're more concerned about lignin and as dr sidhu talked about and did a, i thought a very good explanation of what the problem is with lignin the way in which it's uh, the structure of lignin is uh, greatly responsible for its resistance to degradation and it surrounds the cellulose and hemicellulose sugars and prevents them from being degraded. But if you can break that lignin open and expose the, that uh, cellulose to the soil and the microbes, it'll break down very quickly. And we've talked about um, the leaf tissue being very low in lignin and very high in cellulose and hemicellulose. And that leaf tissue doesn't generally contribute to thatch. <clears throat> so cellulose and hemicellulose are in many ways a straw man they're they're not the core of the issue what oftentimes manufacturers and distributors will do is they'll say well this is a cellulase and this will break down cellulose and that'll help degrade thatch but that's not the problem <laughs> okay cellulose is not really the core issue so we don't want to get distracted by these straw man arguments that are often generated and, and, and can contribute to your decision-making process. You may be convinced that, oh, well, I need this because it breaks down cellulose and hemicellulose. It probably does break down cellulose and hemicellulose, but that's going to break down probably anyway. Very this, The evidence in the literature that we've talked about clearly shows the cellulose and hemicellulose will rapidly break down, assuming under basic normal conditions. You're not doing something silly like dumping... 12 inches of clippings out there and expecting it to decay in you know a month but under normal management practices the cellulose and hemicellulose are not generally a concern it's the lignin so don't get distracted by that don't assume when someone says this will break down cellulose and you think oh well that seems reasonable and that's in the leaf tissue so i should no 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 <laughs> Have some basic understanding of the system and you can avoid those straw man arguments. You can pick them out. It's like taking candy from a baby. Whenever, you, whenever you're equipped with this knowledge and this, these critical thinking skills, it's very, very easy to identify all these flaws and all these little pitfalls that manufacturers and distributors can, can send your way. And this is one of them. Okay, so the, the, just the claim itself alone, the biological thatch reduction product for rapid cellulose breakdown in sports turf, right there alone. I'm convinced, well, maybe not convinced, but I'm not convinced, how about that, that I should buy it because I'm not worried about cellulose. That's not a concern to me if I'm a turf grass manager and I'm trying to manage thatch. Or at least it's a very, very low concern. Okay, it's not on the top of my list. What's on the top of my list is the lignin. And if I'm, gonna, if I'm not going to mechanically remove it, I'm going to try to do it chemically or in a bottle, 
there's only one or one or two products that have shown anything we've talked about lycase and we're going to talk about a sugar tomorrow and the next day okay so let's look at this product and you'll see it says turf that's hard to say turf thatchless etd which stands for enzyme thatch degrader is a biological activator for rapid thatch degradation which contains 15 percent cellulase enzymes and then two percent sugars and wetting agents and seaweed extracts and all this stuff four different cellulase producing microorganisms and these microorganisms i'm going to talk about in the in the uh, paper in a minute but and I, I maybe actually it shows it on the next one now here's right here the four beneficial bacillus strains that make up the core consortia of microorganisms is the product and the product are Bacillus subtilis, Bacillus lichenformis, Bacillus amniolecum, whatever, <laughs> Bacillus pumilus, whatever, how you say those. Remember, the bacteria aren't really going to contribute much to lignin degradation, okay? These bacteria. Even fungi, it has to be white root ro rot fungi, or it has to be a very specific, you know, fungi that can produce a very high redox potential lycase to have really much of an impact. Okay, so, and that's, that's, I'm not just saying that. You guys can go back and look at those papers that I've already gone over with uh, Dr. Raymer and Dr. Sidhu, and we talked about that. Okay, so there's really nothing in here that is any convincing to me at all. Nothing. Um, if Even if they had lycase in here, I would want to know the rates. I would want to know where it came from. There's a lot of other things before I'd be convinced to spend my money or my members' money on a product that is um, suspect at best. Okay. So that's the product down here. There's a video. I'm going to click on this video and I'm going to, I've already clicked on it. And I have it open up and have it open in another tab that I have to kind of fidget with to get it on the thing here. Hang on one second. Let me get it on the screen. Um, okay. So we're going to watch this video. There's, I'm going to turn the volume down because there is no, um, there are no words, but I'll pause it and read it. And the reason I'm turning it down is because there's music in it and it's kind of annoying. So I'll play it and I'll pause it as I read. But what we, for those listening, on the screen we have three jars uh, with various con content in it. So one jar is pure water. Another jar contains one to fifty enzyme. It says the Tur Turf enzyme, and then there's another one, and that has. Um, I'm not sure why these are different. It says one to fifty enzymes with toilet paper. One to fifty enzymes with toilet paper again with Tur Turf, whatever. And then there has cardboard. 1 to 50 enzymes with cardboard and then um, and then 1 to 50 enzymes with cellulose at the end. So there's various um, jars with water in them that has have the enzyme in it with either toilet paper or cardboard or cellulose or uh, it says pure water. I guess on the far left it has pure water with no enzyme in it with the toilet paper in it. I'm going to play it and I'm going to pause it and read what's on the screen as we go through it. So it says uh, you use TuraTurf thatchless enzyme thatch degrader for healthier turf with less needs for fungicide and chemicals. The, the oops what did i do hit hit no hit play i'm sorry okay so degrade it says degrade your thatch <clears throat> enzyme thatch degrader and what it's going to do is it's going to show it's going to show a time lapse of these of these jars the powerful enzyme and microbes help to quickly digest organic matter such as cellulose and lignin found in turf grass that's where their uh position completely falls apart because when you're talking about a claim and it uses it has um, organisms in the, in the product that contains cellulase or exude cellulase, um, and you say that, or I'm sorry, and, and you say that the product degrades cellulose, then no problem. I mean, it prob probably does. But when you say cellulose and lignin, that's where the the the, the, <laughs> the red flags, the alarm bell should be going off in your head. Well, hold on, <laughs> it's like 
those now you now you added lignin on on the label. It didn't have anything about lignin. Now you're adding lignin, which is what we need to do. We need to be able to break that down. And their claim now includes lignin in their video. Okay, so we continue. I'm fast. I'm playing the video. And it says, our demo trial shows how enzymes can help you to get rid of unwanted organic matter over seven days. We can show you a complete breakdown of toilet paper, cardboard, and cellulose in a cellulose foil bag. I'm just reading from the video. It's still playing. Okay. So now we have a time-lapse video. And what's happening is the contents of these jars are moving around. The toilet paper, cardboard, and cellulose paper bag um, over, I don't know how many days this took, but they're clearly moving around and shifting around in the jars. Okay. It appears as if there's some, uh, degradation of the contents in, in the jars. The cardboard hasn't broken down, but some of the, the toilet paper appears to now be cloudy where it was clear and the cellul cellulose or some, sorry, cellulose bag appears to partially be broken down. It looks like, and it says again, use for healthier turf with less needs for fungicides. Now, if if you watch that video and um and you go well yeah that seems convincing we need to work on your critical thinking skills <laughs> if that's the case that is the definition of a straw man argument what they just showed this is literally the 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 video turf grass equivalent of a straw man they're taking Thatch, the thatch argument, the thatch situation, and they're saying our product will break that down. We'll break down cellulose and lignin and the thatch. And then they're showing you a video of something completely different with toilet paper and cardboard. And granted, it comes from uh, plant fibers. I get that. And they're saying, oh, look what it, ha look what it does here. It's clearly doing something here. So it, therefore, it's going to do that in your turf grass as well, your thatch as well. Please don't be fooled by these poor arguments. They're, they're, they're awful. And this is a very well-defined flaw in reasoning known as the straw man. Okay. So thank you for to tour turf and, th and thatchless for providing the best example I can find of a, th of a straw man argument. But maybe that does something, you know, regardless of whether it does something or not, regardless of whether it actually influences the thatch or doesn't influence the thatch that's still an, that's still a straw man but maybe it does it, you could have a straw man argument and still be correct right you could it could still do what it's saying it's going to do even with the poor argument that they're providing okay so we need to go find out we need to find out is there any evidence to support um the are these are these claims are there any is there any evidence so if you go to Turfgrass information file or to Google Scholar and search for, let me pull this up, search for um, thatch control. Eventually, you're going to come across an article entitled Thatch Control in Newly Established Velvet Bentgrass Putting Greens in Scandinavia. So for, for anybody in Europe who might get a little annoyed with us Americans constantly talking about our work, this is for you guys in Europe. <laughs> so this is going to be in Norway. This is this was conducted by the the team there at Sturf, I think it is the Scandinavian Turf Environmental Research Foundation or something did funded this. In fact, it might be on here. Let's go to the end and see if it has the funding agency. Yeah, this research was funded by the Scandinavian Turfgrass Environmental Research Fund. Okay, so I got it right. 
Okay. So it's not funded by company. It's funded by a turf grass association, uh, which the research could be the same one way or the other, but whenever it's funded by a company, uh, and particularly if the company, uh, employees are on as authors, um, you need to be very skeptical in this case. You don't have to be that way. It seems like a um, pretty solid beginning to a research project being funded by a uh, turf grass, uh, turf grass association. I'm assuming they don't have any, uh, you know, conflict of interest in the outcome. Okay. Um, let me read the chat real quick. Um, Looney says, we often see products with seaweed and kelp in them. Is there any evidence of these products being useful for turf grass? <laughs> I think you're asking the wrong question, Looney. A better question would be, what is the consensus of science on these products? Because is there any evidence of product that of these products being useful? The answer has to be yes, that it has to be yes, that there's evidence to support those products, but the body of literature, the body of evidence is nowhere near to the degree of, you know, consistency that we would recommend that I would recommend using those products in lieu of the foundational products like nitrogen, phosphorus when it's needed, potassium when it's needed, right? PGRs when they're needed and so forth. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, like winning the Super Bowl or winning the World Cup. It's, it's not, it, it is nice to see, you know, these really incredible athletes jump up and do these crazy, you know, athletic moves and catch these crazy balls and do you know bicycle kicks into the goal and really just amazing feats of athleticism but that's not really what wins football games and and world cups it's the it's the foundational uh organization it's the blocking and tackling right it's the core you know coaching and and it's this the foundation of of success in those athletic sports are generally not the big fancy plays. It's generally the offensive line, the defensive line, you know, you know, proper passing techniques and all these things. It's not these one or two offs off plays that, you know, somebody catches a one-handed, you know, pass behind their head and for a touchdown. Those are amazing to watch, but it's generally not that that wins championships. And I would say in general, when it comes to seaweed and kelp, it's generally not that that's going to be a, a you know, that's going to lead to your success as a superintendent or a turf manager. It's going to be the blocking and tackling. It's going to be the water, the light, the temperature management, being aware of, you know, those in throughout the season. That's what's going to be the foundation of your success in most cases. And occasionally you might find a seaweed product or a kelp product, you know, give you that little extra um, push or that little extra quality that you're looking for. Occasionally you might find a wide receiver, catch some crazy pass. You know, I don't know if that's a good analogy or makes sense to you all or not, but I have there, the answer to your question has to be yes, there is evidence, but there's evidence to the contrary as well. Okay. Particularly under 
quote unquote normal conditions. If you have a normal situation where water, light, and temperature are normal, the nutrient um, availability to your turf is fairly normal, then adding those products generally don't do much. I think that's what the literature will show. And I'll go over those products. It probably won't be till February or March until I get to those products, um, Looney, because I, I have a pipeline of papers that are, I mean, I think I have like 90 papers, 95 papers or something like that already lined up. And I can shift things around if you all think you, I should. That's fine. I don't mind moving things. Like I'm trying to do months at a time, like a topic for a month. And that topic doesn't come around till February or March. But I can always just switch it around if that's, like I said, you guys just let me know. But that'd be my answer to that. I wouldn't spend a nickel on any of those any of those products like that with seaweed extract or kelp or humic acid or anything like that unless I already had a very, very strong foundation already built. I'm aware of the water, light, and temperature issues. I'm managing them properly. And I wanted to maybe try something and see if I can get a little you know, extra edge, then, you know, I don't think there's any harm in that necessarily. Um, but certainly I wouldn't do it in, in lieu of, of a strong foundational program that contains, you know, proper management of water, light and temperature and nutrients. <laughs> so gray, gray Fox says, I often have a problem with cardboard and bathroom tissue in my lawn. So that video, that's, I mean, that's the first thing I thought of too, is like, you know, bathroom tissue and cardboard in my lawn. That's definitely what I want to compare it to, you know, for the breakdown of cellulose. Those products do contain cellulose, the papers and, you know, the, from the pulp industry and so forth. They probably contain some lignin there too, I imagine. Certainly cardboard probably does. I'm not a cardboard specialist. I don't know what, what it's made from. I'm assuming it's wool, wood pulp and things like that, but, um, but yeah, you got to use some critical thinking skills. Okay, so let me get into this paper. That's control in newly established velvet bent grass putting greens in Scandinavia. I can, I'm not even going to start to pronounce these people's names. Um, I've come across uh, Trigvi, Trigvi. I'm uh, sorry, I don't mean to be rude. I just don't know how to pronounce the name. I have come across him once or twice. Um, this is the team from Norway. They put out quite a few papers. Um, I'm I'm really sorry. I can't even pronounce like the first word of their names, and it's just my own ignorance and not not knowing how to pronounce your names. So I really apologize for that. Uh, but this was published in Crop Science in 2012, so it's a top tier journal. It is not the way I would write this paper. Okay, it is what it's their paper. They can write it however they want. Uh, I I wouldn't write it this way because it's it. it it's very difficult to follow this paper. Okay. I'm going to skip through a lot of it because I want to kind of get to the bold bullet points of the paper, but don't fault the authors please for that because they're writing probably in a second language and I can't even speak one word of the language they speak in Norway. So, you know, <laughs> so they're, they're doing way better than I would ever do in their culture. So they're, they did, they have a good paper. It's just a, um, a little bit challenging to follow <clears throat> and it's not, I don't mean to criticize the authors at all. It's just, uh, it, it's just a little hard for me to follow it, <clears throat> but I'm going to read through the introduction cause he does a good job of explaining some of the challenges with velvet bent grass and the differences and so forth. And then he goes into a lot of the 
combination treatments for thatch control that we've seen in other papers where there's just a just a gaggle of treatments and verticutting rates and depths and there's just a lot of stuff when you come to thatch product or thatch papers and it can get confusing real quick but i'm gonna i don't want to do the paper injustice i just want to probably skip skip through some of that to get to the bullet points that i want to mention so here we go the introduction and, and uh, I, i'm not familiar with bent grass that much i might have come across it once or twice i've never done any work with it um, but i like what he talks about in terms of explaining what it is Velvet bentgrass is a native species in northern and central Europe. After being brought to North America in the 1900s, New England golf superintendents realized that velvet bentgrass produced beautiful putting greens like a velvet carpet. Okay, I'm right here. In addition to very fine surface texture, velvet bentgrass has better shade and drought tolerance than other bent species. He has some citations for that. It has high resistance to dollar spot, Brown patch, oh, and brown patch. Velvet bent grass tolerates as much or even more compaction and wear stress and competes better against annual bluegrass infestations than creeping bent grass. So he's explaining the benefits or the advantages of using that versus creeping bent grass. In the Nordic countries, so we're talking Norway and Sweden, um, the benefits of velvet bent grass were rediscovered through a variety variety evaluation project in which velvet bent grass bent grass had better winter survival than any other species on a putting green where no pesticides were used um let me let me see i wanted to yeah okay let me read the next paragraph because i want to mention something here that's sort of tangential to this in the 1960s and 70s bent, velvet bent grass fell out of favor on north american golf courses as fertilizer and pesticides were introduced, creeping bent grass and annual bluegrass became the predominant species on putting greens. Since then, increasing environmental awareness has raised the need for well-adapted turfgrass species requiring less water, pesticides, and fertilizer use. In this context, velvet bent grass seems to have a potential in North America and Europe, but its acceptance among golf superintendents depends on guidelines for optimal maintenance and especially thatch management which is considered to be one of the biggest problems in this species. Now, what I wanted to mention here real quick, as I go back to me here, what the authors are saying is, is that velvet bent grass stood out in a study where there was very little input. It was sort of rediscovered as a, as a species to consider or cultivar to consider compared to creeping bent grass. But creeping bent grass has been used so, for so long in North America, um, because once we started using pesticides, we were able to manage it and to manage the pests to acceptable levels. And so velvet bent grass hasn't really caught on in the United States, which as far as I'm, I know, that's, that's accurate. What I will say to my golf friends is one way or the other, we are going to move towards a more sustainable turf management model, meaning we're going to use fewer pesticides. We're going to use fewer nutrients. We're going to use less water one way or the other. What I mean by that is we're either going to do it voluntarily or we're going to be forced to do it by government agencies one way or the other. I don't see any way out of that. So the days of just unlimited water and unlimited nutrients and pesticide applications are over. 
there's a lot of resistance to this change. There's some, a lot of people coming on board, no question about it. There's a lot of resistance to this. And I think one, I, I'm not in favor of government oversight. I, I would prefer to do it internally. I'd prefer to voluntarily manage our pests and water and nutrients and so forth internally, according to best management practices. But there's clear evidence that that's nowhere near as impactful as the implement, the institution or implementation of law. And the example of that is no one seemed to care about phosphorus application. No one seemed to really reduce phosphorus applications for decades, even though scientists were saying, you don't need to apply that much phosphorus. You don't need to apply that much phosphorus. It's an element of environmental impairment. And I think it was Minnesota was the first state that implemented phosphorus restrictions. And then it's gone on to Florida and everywhere else. And a lot of people in my industry are, oh, phosphorus restrictions, it's, it's horrible. Da, 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 da. They're, they're trying to regulate these things. They've regulated it now. We're, and we've, as a result of that regulation and the phosphorus blackouts, we've seen a dramatic reduction in the application of phosphorus in the golf industry. And that's, that's noted in the nutrient uh, survey we just published a year or two ago. Clearly, the phosphorus restrictions being included in local or state or federal, well, not federal, but local or state rules have resulted in a reduction of phosphorus applications. And no one's running around crazy thinking the turf is all falling apart. Meaning if we're applying, we're applying less phosphorus now, the turf is still fine. Okay. So what they're saying in this paper is we're still using creeping bent grass in the United States. We're not considering other species like velvet bent grass that apparently can be used with far fewer inputs because we're able to use so many inputs. We're able to use all the fungicides. They can't do that in many of the EU countries. They can't just go out and start applying all this stuff. They have to find other other species or other ways of managing these turf grasses without all those inputs. And that's going to be us. We might as well get on the train now because I think volunteer, in my opinion, voluntarily moving on board the train now, starting to move towards basically genetics, starting to move into better genetics that require fewer inputs. The A-list um, species or the A-list uh, association where we're looking at um, low input sustainable turf grasses there's a lot of research that goes into finding species and cultivars that we can use that provide the same or very similar uh, acceptable levels with fewer inputs. You might as well jump on board now, voluntarily get on the train and start that process now. It'll, in my opinion, it'll greatly delay any of the government oversight. But one way or the other, it's going to happen. We can't continue applying all this water and all these pesticides and all these nutrients and not expect at some point mom and pop are going to go whoops psh, you got to stop that and they're going to then we're going to have more government regulations and laws we have to abide by let's just start doing it now and we'll find a way through it we will get through it they've been doing it in europe for decades and and, and we've done it here we've reduced our phosphorus here only as a result and primarily well primarily as a result of government laws inst instituting local ordinances and the phosphorus has been reduced. Well, what, are you, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to look at that and go, wait a second. We, we instituted phosphorus restrictions there and we noticed a phosphorus reduction. Well, that seemed to work. Turf grass isn't falling apart. Phosphorus applications are being reduced. We can argue the environmental impact of those regulations on another issue. That's another issue. But they're seeing that the, the government ruled the laws, the institution of, of ordinances are clearly having an impact. 
you can't go to Home Depot or Lowe's in many parts of Florida and buy fertilizers that have uh, phosphorus in it during certain times of the year. So clearly there's a less, there's fewer amounts, less amount of phosphorus going out. When they, when they recognize that, if they haven't already, they're just going to, it's going to continue to compound continue to compound. So it's just an example of, we're going to have to be, become, um, more sustainable, which means growing grass and to an acceptable level with fewer inputs. So get on the train. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next thing. Thatch control can be grouped into prevention of excessive plant growth and shoot density. Two, enhancement of microbial thatch degradation, or three, thatch dilution and modification by sand, and four, mechanical thatch removal. So those are the three control groups that this, these authors are basically saying exist. You can consider one of those four. Scogli 75 reported 11.4% and 12.5% organic matter in velvet bent grass mats, but surprisingly, these numbers were not affected by nitrogen rates under his experimental conditions. So he's going through the literature. Top dressing or returning soil from hollow tine cores will usually decrease organic matter content in mat by dilution, but at the same time, these treatments will also increase mat depth. The contribution of top dressing to microbial thatch degradation has been controversial. I wouldn't say it's controversial. I would just say it's inconsistent. Sometimes it does stuff. Sometimes top dressing doesn't do anything. Vertical cutting and hollow tine coring usually reduce mat, mat depth due to direct thatch removal, but the effect of coring, verticutting, and spiking on the content of organic matter in mat is often small unless combined with top dressing. So you've heard me say before in prior streams is that one size doesn't fit all the thatch. Oh, we're, um, you got thatch, go in there and verticut. Well, some, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Oh, well, you should core airify. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, okay, well, let's top dress. Yeah, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. So that's what they're saying here is that, you know, these, these different management practices, some, they're not consistent. And so the combination of all three of these gets compounded. There's the study gets grown to a huge degree, trying to figure out what combination of these cultural management practices would consistently reduce in thatch. And right now, we can I can show you a dozen papers. Maybe I have shown you. I don't even know how many papers I've already shown that show that there's not much consistency with any of those and the combination. I would in in general top dressing and verticutting probably where you're physically removing or diluting the organic matter or the thatch. Sometimes that helps, but not always. So thatch is a is a is not a one size fit all. Incorporation of sand into the verdure in surface thatch can be difficult in high-density turfgrass varieties, and this problem may be even more accentuated in velvet bent grass, especially if top dressing is not combined with mechanical treatments. Depending on timing and frequency, mechanical treatments are sometimes disruptive to turfgrass surfaces. We're, we're aware of that. Um, and this may be harmful to, to bent grass because of the poor recuperative capacity of the species, so it's a slow to, slow to recuperate. Stimulation of thatch degradation is often difficult task. Thatch is com composed mainly of cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin. Lignin is a complex aromatic polymer that exists that is extremely resistant to degradation. So here, here I highlighted this in yellow. Biodegradation of lignin is mainly accomplished by a few species of fungi, but bacteria, especially actinomycetes, 
have also been reported as lignin degraders. So we've talked about the white rot fungi, specifically within that species, or I guess species of fungi, even different differences even exist between white rot fungi species. So you can't just use any white rot fungi. It's specific to, you know, the species. This bacteria, actinomycetes, we haven't gone over. I would say the evidence supporting that is extremely weak. They have a citation here. But in, in turf grass lignin, I would not have a lot of confidence in that. And we can go over that paper if you want, but I don't have a lot of confidence that actinomycetes would result in breakdown of lignin of turf grass to a degree that we could measure and be you know meaningful in, in terms of management practices. But we, you know, we can go over it. It has been claimed that application of products like fungi, bacteria, enzymes, or other bioactive ingredients will enhance thatch degradation. However, the efficacy of such products under field conditions remains controversial. So as you, if you mention, if you remember, Dr. Seedy was on here and he, he, he said, the problem is we don't have to just inflate the, the microbial population. We have to inflate a specific microbial population in the soil. And then we have to maintain that inflation of that population or activity of that one, one specific species or a handful of species. We have to maintain that over time. Just applying sugars out there generally won't do that. I mean, it might, it might inflate that species, true, but it'll inflate all the, all the species and then it'll just go back down over at some point. You know, the soluble carbon will eventually be depleted. So we have to look at a specific species or small group of white rot fungi, inflate that, and then keep it inflated to such a degree that it would influence the lignin and the thatch. That's not easy to do. Okay, that's very difficult to do. Based on the literature cited above, we hypothesize that moderate nitrogen inputs and heavy top dressing would be key elements to maintain the velvet bent grass putting green with good playability and aesthetic quality, acceptable organic matter content in the mat layer, and little or no winter damage. Due to the limited recuperative capacity of velvet bent grass and the low soil temperatures during most of the season in Scandinavia, we also hypothesize that mechanical and biological treatments to control thatch would be of secondary importance compared with the appropriate fertilization and top dressing programs. The objective of this research was to determine the effects of nitrogen, top dressing rates, and mechanical biological treatments on turf quality thatch formation and winter survival of velvet bent grass in, in Scandinavia. Okay, let's go to the, the meteorological stuff. Basically, the meteorological data at that location is very similar to the Pacific Northwest United States. They have about 60 inches of rain a year. That's what they had in 08 and 09. The rain occurs primarily in the winter months. You can see January and February, um, there's a little bit of rain. It, it goes down into May and June, where we have a little, the least amount of rain is in May and June, and then it goes back up in September, October, November. So generally speaking, it's cold and wet in the wintertime and cool and drier in the summertime. You see that the temperatures are averaging at, at or just barely above freezing in January and February. and November, December, and then in the summertime, we're looking at 17, 16 degrees Celsius. So it's mild, cool summers, dry summers, and, and wet, cold winters. Very similar to the Pacific Northwest. 
materials and methods, velvet bent grout. I'm going to skip through a lot of this. I'm going to get to the end here because there, this is just so much in here. I'm just going to get to the bullet points. Velvet bent grass legendary was seeded at a rate of six grams per square meter on experimental putting green in Bios Fork Landvik, Norway. That's a golf course in Norway. And I'm going to show you where that is. Let me get that open just so everybody's on the same page here. The, uh, oops, how did I, how did I get that up there? There we go. Okay. So here is Grimstad, the closest, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name. The closest city to that golf course is Grimstad, Norway. And where that is, is on the far southeast corner of, of the country of Norway. So we're down here, you know, across the North Sea from Denmark. And um, that's where they did the study. So the, right there and very close to Grimstad. I think it actually might be in Grimstad. I think it's over here on the west side. I could be wrong. But that's where the study was conducted. Okay. The uh, so look at the soil samples. The soil samples the were pH is six point three, but the phosphorus was ten and the potassium was twenty. So this would be considered, in my opinion, low. Very very risky. You might not see a phosphorus uh, response if you applied it to that turf at ten, but there's a good chance you would. And same thing with potassium. Generally, potassium around thirty five forty something like that. I'm comfortable with. I think a lot of the literature supports that value. Where above forty-ish part per million malic three, we don't see a whole lot of responses, and below thirty-five forty, we do start seeing responses, and they're at twenty. So phosphorus and potassium are relatively low. They do apply phosphorus and potassium prior to and kind of get that number up. But a total of twenty-three seventy and one hundred four days of snow cover were observed during the winters. So there was a lot of snow during the winters, but the trial was never covered by ice or water for more than two weeks at a time. Each block, I'm again, just bear with me as I get through the treatments. Each block contained eight main plots with com combinations of low or high nitrogen. So they applied a pound and a half or three pounds of nitrogen per year with one of the four mechanical biological treatments. Weekly, one of the treatments was weekly grooming. The other one was weekly grooming plus cutting. The other one was weekly grooming plus monthly spiking. The other one was weekly grooming plus monthly spiking plus monthly applications of a biological product called thatchless. So by Novozymes Biologicals. <clears throat> so that's the reason I went over Thatchless before the before this um, presentation or before the paper. As Thatchless, uh, they'll ex they explain what's in it in a minute. Each plot was split into two <clears throat> two subplots that received each each plot was split into two subplots that received each time either 0.5 millimeters or one millimeter of pure sand with no organic matter. Oh, they're top dressed. <clears throat> okay. See if I can get through this before my voice gives out. Inputs of P and K and other nutrients varied appropriately with the nitrogen input. Thus, the relative in P and K rate was 616. This was a fertilization, I guess, during, during, prior to the study being started. Weekly grooming was performed using a John Deere grooming attachment, except for the first coring using 6 millimeter outside diameter holotines. Cores were removed. Monthly spiking was performed with eight millimeters solid tines mounted on a John Deere aerator, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Biological treatments. Thatchless product, biological product contained 0 0.04 microbial cultures, bacillus lichen formis to have the colon, colony forming units, bacillus subtilis 
and 24.1% cellulase enzyme derived from trichoderma racii or whatever. And they gave the application rates for that product. Clippings were removed. The experiment was exposed to artificial wear. So they were trying to simulate a golf course at 20,000 rounds a year, which is probably about normal for that area. Due to severe infestations of Pythium, uh, the trial was sprayed with, um, I guess, azoxystrobin and then propconazole on in October. So basically, they tried to maintain it as best they could as a golf course. No other pesticides and plant growth regulators were used in the trial. They had another trial at a different location in Applesvall, Norway, but they didn't use thatchless in that study because they had a, didn't have enough space. Okay, let's get into turf grass quality. They did it on a one to nine scale. Um, and they measured the disease occurrence. I'm not really going to go into that too much. The measurements were uh, playability quality. The measurements were done monthly and assessed as surface hardness and ball roll. They did surface hardness using a CLEG. They did ball roll doing using a modified stint meter. When they say a modified stint meter, they probably just has like half the distance. Sometimes the plots, let's say the plot is two meters by three meters and the ball roll would go outside of the plot using a normal stint meter we'll use a half size stint meter and then just do the conversion up to a normal stint distance i think that's what they did mat depth organic matter content in the mat layer and the net accumulation of organic matter was determined for four two and two uncompressed soil cores so they did the depth they did the weight um, the organic matter by weight loss on ignition is very as we've seen before in other papers very common and they use infiltration rates in the field using a double ring infiltrometer, which is also very common. All right, so results, turf grass performance. Uh, man, I don't know how I'm going to go over this. Let me look through here again. It's just very confusing, guys. I apologize to the authors, but I get lost in, lost in this paper. All right, let me just get through it. I'll just read what I highlighted. I want to go to the table once or twice, but <clears throat> I might... It might change my mind. Nitrogen and top dressing rates had the highest impact on velvet bent grass for visual performance. So that's pretty straightforward. Nitrogen and top dressing rates on visual performance. Regardless of the mechanical biological treatment and top dressing level, three pounds of nitrogen led to a significantly better turf grass quality and significantly higher shoot density than one and a half pounds throughout the entire experimental period. Plots receiving one and a half pounds did not achieve acceptable turf quality until the summer of 2009. I'm gonna mention something right here and you can just snip this out and throw it away if you're just a if you're if you're not like me if you're normal <laughs> and you're not like me um, for my for my science friends and my author friends and uh, all the people in academia almost every time in a paper the word when the word significant or significantly is used it can be omitted on almost every occasion let me just make that clear so if anybody's listening to this, if you're a grad student or you're a young assistant professor and you're writing and you're wanting to get all these papers out, look at the word significant and significantly in your papers and think about this. Would you say there's a different if it wasn't significant? So for example, if you said mechanical and biological treatments had no significant effect on turf grass quality, you can just say mechanical and biological treatments had no effect. You wouldn't say it doesn't have an effect unless it was significant. So when you're constantly using the word significant, 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 significantly, all the, over and over and over and over and over, it's not necessary. It's superfluous. And it, and it distracts from the, from the paper, in my opinion. Okay. 
All right. Snip that out and move on. <laughs> the light top dressing led to a better turf quality and a higher shoot density in 2008 and 2009. So top dressing and nitrogen tended to be what was the treatments used for, for turf performance. Mechanical and biological treatments had no significant effect on turf grass visual quality, except at the beginning and the end of the experiment. So mechanical and biological treatments had, didn't do anything in quality except for at the very end. Let me see, let me show you what I'm they're talking about here. It's not easy uh, to pull this out. And hey, it, the authors can write what they want and God bless you, you know, more power to you. I, you know, write some more and I'm not saying don't write it, but papers written like this and tables written like this are very difficult to follow because you have all the interactions in ANOVA and all these other things and you, and you have the treatments, but you don't have, it's not easy to tell differences among treatments. You just have whether or not there's a difference among treatments. There's a difference. Well, okay, which ones differ? So it's just not easy to follow. But when you look at this, I'm looking at a table that says the effects of nitrogen amount top dressing rate and mechanical biological treatment on turf quality. And I'm just going to look at the, the mechanical biological treatments. And when you have this, it says the, the grooming plus spiking plus thatchless, which is this treatment right here. And then you have grooming plus spiking. These two treatments right here are what you want to compare because this is showing the influence of thatchless because thatchless contains grooming plus spiking. So you got to subtract out the grooming plus spiking treatment to, to be able to show the impact of thatchless. And you'll see below this, it has LSD at 5%. The mechanical biological treatment LSD is 0.5. So there's no impact here from the thatchless, even though there's a significant, uh, you'll see here that there's a significant in the ANOVA. There's no impact by adding in the biological treatment. When you go over here to the, and that was on uh, quality, turf quality. When you go over here where we see another significant, this 0.2 and 0.3 is the LSD. Again, we don't see any impact by adding in the biological treatment. Okay, it, it, you see a difference between the other mechanical treatments, you know, like the, the 4.3 and the 4.8. There's a difference there. In other words, grooming increased it above grooming plus verticutting. Or actually, you probably would say grooming plus verticutting resulted in a reduction. But when you added in the biological, you didn't see anything. Okay. The initial coring caused, and that was on turf quality. The initial coring caused a significant decrease. And see, we don't, you don't, you, ugh, whatever. It, it's so hard to use the word caused. It, we, you know, this is just scientific minutia, but we can't say something caused something unless we have an unbelievable amount of evidence. We have to say it led to this or it resulted in this, but to say a caused B requires an inordinate amount of information and evidence to support. And if we just, I wish people would stop using that word in scientific literature. The initial coring caused a significant, uh, another significant, <laughs> it's like decrease in turf quality in the late, in the late summer of 2007. In the fall of 2009, plots that received spiking also had a low, lower turf grass quality and shoot density than plots that received only grooming or grooming combination with vertical cutting. You see all the combinations and I'm, I'm already getting lost. Vertical cutting led to a significant decrease in turf grass quality in spring. 
oftentimes verticutting is going to reduce quality. It's going to reduce ball roll. You're disrupting the surface, you know. Oftentimes that, that is found in the literature. I'm going to skip through a lot of this. I'm moving to the next thing. The ball roll distance was over 6 to 17% longer on plots receiving 70 or pound and a half in compared with 3 pounds in. That's very common. Usually at lower end rates, you have faster greens. The main, as you increase the nitrogen rate, you increase the growth of the grass, and generally you'll slow the ball down. The main effect of top dressing rate or mechanical biological treatments on this character were not significant, so the biological treatments had no influence on, on ball roll. Surface hardness was significantly affected by all three treatment factors. The low nitrogen rate enhanced surface hardness as much as 15% in the fall of 2008 and as much as 27% in the fall of 2009 compared with the high end rate. The effect of top dressing was first detected in fall 2008 by 4% harder surface on plots receiving 44, 14 millimeters of top dressing than on plots receiving 7 millimeters. During the summer before mechanical treatments in 2009, plots received 14 millimeters of top dressing were as much as 6% harder than those receiving 7 millimeters of top dressing. Among mechanical treatments, spiking in combination with grooming led to less surface hardness. In the summer of fall, in the summer and fall of 2009, the biological product, thatchless, significantly increased hardness of the plots also receiving spiking plus grooming. He's going to come back to that and he's going to postulate as to why that occurred and I'm going to disagree with him. I'm going to get to that. Thatch assessments. On average for top dressing levels and mechanical biological treatment, doubling the fertilizer rate from one and a half to three pounds, increased match thickness by 4.4 millimeters by the end of 2008 and 9.8 millimeters by the by. So you're adding more nitrogen, you're growing more thatch. It's not rocket science. Organic matter content in the mat layer was significant, significantly influenced by nitrogen rate, top dressing, and their interaction. By the end of 2009, organic matter content increased by 1.9% with an increase in nitrogen rate from 1.3 to, or I'm sorry, yeah, 1.5 acres. I'm sorry, 1.5 pounds to 3 pounds under light top dressing, but was unaffected by nitrogen rate under heavy top dressing. Okay, the main effect of mechanical biological treatment on organic matter content was not significant in 2008, but by the end of 2009, the organic matter content was 1.1% lower on plots receiving vertical cutting plus grooming than on plots receiving grooming only. So vertical cutting appears to be lowering the percent of organic matter a little bit. The main effect of mechanical or biological treatment on mat organic matter dry weight per unit was not significant. So this this Thatchless product is not having an effect on organic matter uh, in the in the mat layer. The infiltration rate compared with the grooming alone spiking in combination with grooming enhanced the infiltration rate by fifty one percent. So you increase in the thatch uh, the infiltration rate. Addition of thatchless to grooming plus spiking treatment caused no further increase in infiltration rates. As a main effect, doubling the top dressing level significantly improved soil infiltration by sixty one percent. Fertilizer had no effect on it. So. That's that. I'm sorry, guys. I'm getting bored with this article. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I just I had to go over it because it included another biological. I'm getting burned out on thatch. I'm sorry. I hope you guys aren't. I, I, I'm supposed to, you know, infuse excitement into these articles, but thatch is not my my area. So now we're talking effective nitrogen rate, top dressing rate, and mechanical biological treatment on surface hardness measured by gravities. You see the surface hardness. Not affected by the thatchless here in, in the summer of 2008, nor in the fall of 2008. And then you do see that the, it occur in the summer of 2009 
but uh, but not in the fall. So there was a little bit of an impact here, but he had an increase in firmness, and they're going to talk about that in a second. I'm going to skip down to it. Uh, mat characteristics measured as mat depth. We just talked about this, where there was no influence of thatchless on the organic matter content, there, although there was a difference in the, uh, when you did the, the vertical, the grooming plus vertical cutting. So the vertical cutting right here is what res resulted in a reduction, the physical removal. Okay, physical removal of thatch is what, what we want to do. We talked about that before. Okay. Okay, it's coming down to the end. Okay, mechanical and biological thatch control. The effect of mechanical treatments on thatch formation in the mat layer did not become significant until the end of 2009, probably due to the initial low content of thatch in the newly established putting green. Probably true. If there was no thatch, you're not going to measure a reduction. At this point, the amount of organic matter in the mat layer on plots receiving um, grooming plus verticutting was significantly lower than on plots receiving grooming or only or on grooming plus spiking. The fact that vertical cutting resulted in the lowest organic matter content in the mat layer is not surprising as this was the only treatment where organic matter was actually removed from the turf. And we talked about that. you got to go in there and remove it, guys. Stop fiddle-faddling around and messing with this silly stuff about bugs in a jug and trying to think you're going to actually do something. I'm going to have a video tomorrow. I came across a product. It's called, um, I can't remember thatch something another bugs in a jug actually i don't think it's bugs in a jug i think it's like i don't remember i'll talk about it tomorrow but i was watching it yesterday and i'm like oh my lord it's made for home lawns i think i think it's i think it's marketed for home lawns so i'll talk about that tomorrow another scam basically so stop even even if it did have an effect the question is is it going to be meaningful or impactful to you you know we, we can't even measure an, an effect at all much less one that's of significant value to you. The first coring at Landvik was more disruptive than beneficial. This was probably due to the low stability, softening and scalping in the immature turf and, and or low recuperative capacity of bent grass. Although spiking resulted in softer greens, it significantly improved infiltration rate. So there you go on that. All right, so last two paragraphs. In the summer and fall of 2009, the 4% increase in hardness by thatchless application on plots receiving spiking in combination with grooming was probably due to enhanced thatch degradation. Show me the evidence for that. You didn't show it in your own article. You didn't show it on organic matter. You didn't show it on thatch depth. One, 4% increase in hardness probably is undetectable to the average person. So it's probably biologically insignificant, but we'll go with it. But then when you're going to postulate and say it was probably due to enhanced thatch degradation, well, this is a thatch study. Show me where it happened, right? And you don't show where it happened. So post that's not even a postulation. That's just a, I mean, I don't. that's just a wild ass statement. I mean, you, you this is a thatch study. You don't have to guess. You don't have to say probably. You Did you measure thatch difference or did you not? And you didn't. So if it got firmer, if the surface got firmer, so be it. But don't say it's probably due to enhanced thatch degradation unless you, me unless you found that. However, as we observed, no significant difference in the organic matter content between the corresponding treatments. It might be speculated that surface hardness is more sensitive character is a, more, is a more sensitive character reflecting thatch degradation than is organic matter content. I just don't think this should be in the scientific literature, to be frank. You know, what's the, what is the title? What is, let me see here. 
Thatch Control. Thatch Control, the title is Thatch Control in Newly Established Velvet Bentgrass. And at the end, you're postulating it might be due to enhanced thatch degradation. But you didn't. I mean, come on. You didn't measure it. You, you, or this is a thatch study, and you didn't find that. Sorry. One explanation may be the cellulase enzyme derived from trichoderma reaceae and thatchless stimulated degradation of soft and extensible microfibrils, microfibrils of cellulose, but had little or no effect on degradation of lignin, which probably contributes more to the surface hardness. So what he's saying is maybe it broke down the cellulose and didn't break down the lignin, and the lignin was the only thing left, and it was firmer. I don't know. Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut. It just seems like a bad argument. I mean, if you're going to do it, if you're going to title the first word in your paper is thatch, thatch control. You measure, measure thatch depth. Measure that, you know. When you get into this speculation at the end, people can be convinced. If they read this, it's probably due to that. If that's all they read... Uh, you know, an outside observer might read that and go, oh, okay, well, maybe it was due to, maybe thatchless did have an impact. Meanwhile, you didn't measure that. Whatever. Couillard and Turgan reported that cellulose and lignin contents averaged 22.4% and 14.9% organic matter and 19.1 and 24.7% organic matter. And Jesus, 19.0 and 32.2% organic matter in the 0 to 2, 2 to 4, and 4 to 6 mat layer sampled from creeping bent grass. I don't know why they added that in there, but McCarty found that the application uh, that, that application twice per year of a biological thatch control product, which contained selected microorganisms, bioactive ingredients, and some nutrients, did not reduce thatch on a newly seeded creeping bent grass. But remember, we went over that paper that was McCarty and Greg did that paper. We went over both their, both their papers, and they found there was no impact. And on the second paper in the established one, they actually showed it increased thatch. <laughs> the thatch, the, what is it called, thatch X? Thatch X that was supposed to degrade thatch actually resulted in an increase in thatch in the second paper on A1 bent grass. So it's very, very unlikely that this product resulted in some sort of degradation, and that degradation resulted in firmer turf or firmer surface. So this paragraph, the speculation in this paragraph annoys me. There's no, and there's, it annoys me particularly because there's no need to speculate. You've measured thatch. Just say you don't know. It, it increased the hardness. It didn't have an effect on the thatch from organic matter. So, and it said, and it, they, they try to do that a little bit. It says one explanation may be that it's cellulase enzyme derived from this and thatch a stimulated degradation of soft, the soft part of the thatch and left behind the hard part of the thatch. Maybe that did happen. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But if you don't know, just say, you know, it's unknown. The cause of this increase in surface firmness is unknown. It may be due to this. Further investigation is necessary, you know, to have any confidence in that postulation. This research was confirmed. This research has confirmed our hypothesis that moderate nitrogen input, this is the conclusion, not moderate nitrogen inputs and heavy top dressing rates are key practices in the maintain, maintenance of velvet bent grass golf greens. Velvet bent grass greens require at least three pounds of nitrogen a year and 14 millimeters of top dressing per year during the first one to two years after sowing, after which the nitrogen rate could be substantially reduced. 
Once the putting green is established, top dressing range should be maintained at a level to keep the thatch formation from within, within acceptable limits. I like what he said in the conclusion. I, mean, I don't know if it's supported too much by, the, by what he published here. But when he says, you know, at the beginning, you need three pounds of nitrogen to maintain this putting green, and you might be able to reduce it later on. We found that pretty consistent in the literature where we have recommended rates as high as six pounds in Florida. They did. And as we go and do more cal calibration work, we f figure out that, wait a second, six pounds isn't even necessary. We, al we, al we almost always find the rate to be lower. I, I don't need, I can't even think of a study we've done. Uh, we probably published four or five or six papers on nitrogen calibrations. And I don't, I don't think there's one. In fact, I know there's not one that I've published that ever resulted in, oh, we need to apply more nitrogen. We end up finding we need to apply less. And I think oftentimes it's because we're doing it on more mature turf grass. So the age of the turf grass will have an influence on the amount of nutrient that, that you, you need to apply. So these early applications of, during establishment are usually higher than the same turf would be two or three or four years later. So, and that goes one of one of the one of the audience members. I'll leave his name out of it if he doesn't want me to mention it. But um, he has a he has well established mature lawns and he has newer lawns, new communities, and the nitrogen applications between those two, um, you know, locations of those two different turf settings is different. He doesn't really need that much nitrogen on the more mature turf, more mature communities that are 10, 15, 20 years old. But on these newly seeded lawns and the new construction, it's not just that the soil they bring in is junk. It's not just that. It's also that the turf itself is not mature. It doesn't, it's not a mature plant at that point. And it's going to need a little bit more help. It's very similar to your, your kids. You know, as they, as they're very, very young, you had to feed them every two hours, every one hour. You got, you know, when they're first born, the first, you know, months and months, you got to feed them every two hours, every two hours, you got to keep the food in them. But then as they get older, they can go breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, they can, you know, maybe they eat more, I guess, as they get older, but they can, they're more mature at that point. It's much more difficult to get sick at that point. But when you're, when you're a little baby, those little plants are little babies. You got to keep them fed all the time. That's very similar to other, other, you know human behavior i guess so anyway that's it tomorrow night i will be on at 9 p.m i have two more papers i'm going to go over the last two mccarty papers i think they are i think they're both in um international turfgrass science journal i believe and it contains not great but a little bit of information about the degradation of thatch um, from from a product that is not lichase okay I would not write home about the results, <laughs> okay? But I want to show those papers, to, to at least to show that there might be something here. We need to look at it further. And I want to also use that as an example to, tomorrow night to show um, how, <laughs> um, how quickly companies can jump on that information bandwagon as soon as they see something that might be considered to be beneficial, even if the authors say, oh, we can't really say that, companies will still jump on it and use it. A really good example tomorrow night at nine. We'll go over that. Okay, guys. Any, <clears throat> any, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, okay, no questions in the chat. That's all I got. Tomorrow, 9 p.m. See you. Have a great day. Bye.